So the title is Keeping Up with the Benjamins. And for those of you who don't know what a Benjamin is, and I'm sure you all do, but a Benjamin is a $100 bill. Now, over the next five weeks, we're going to be discussing something that people don't like to talk about in church. And even some people don't even think that church should talk about. And that is money. Uh, we're not going to just focus on money. Money is part of, uh, of a bigger thing that we're going to talk about. But I believe that what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks is really going to help some of you in some of your situations, whether you've got a lot of money or whether you don't have any money at all. I think that what we're going to talk about is really going to help you. And I think we live in a culture that, that seems that our economy is so far away from recovery. As I said, I, I said last week, that a lot of the government is saying 2012, we're going to be a great year and we're going to come out of this recession. Well, if you listen to a lot of the economists, they are saying that 2012 could even be worse than 2011. Well, that isn't good news. And so if that's not good news, then what I wanted to do at the very start of this year was to prepare us to be able to face this year straight on. And if the worst should happen, we would be okay. And there's often, for many of you, there's often more month left than money. I'm sure some of you, you know, you get to the end of the month and you're like, wow, if I could just rub two pennies together, it would help. Trying to juggle all our expenses and bills, it seems that we are just trying, trying to continually keep up with the Benjamins. We try to live an average life, which has caused many of us to live paycheck to paycheck. Others whether they are wealthy or not, just keep chasing the merry-go-round, around and around, and trying to gain more and more and more, trying to keep up with everybody else. We've all heard the phrase, keep up with the Joneses. Well, I think when I look at Harford County, and I look at just around here, I think a lot of people try to keep up with the Joneses. Well, I read something the other day, and what I read was that the Joneses are broke, so quit trying to keep up with the Joneses, because they're broke. You know, in 2006, there was a woman who was charged with forgery for trying to, trying to uh, use a fake $1 million bill to pay a check at, the, at a supermarket. Her name was Alice Pike. She was 35 years at the time. And she pulled out this counterfeit note at Walmart, of all places, um, in a pl- in, um, somewhere in Georgia. And she used this $1 million note to pay for $1,672 dollars worth of goods. I'm thinking, how much stuff have you got at Walmart to get $1,627? But anyway, so she pulled this out and then she had the nerve to ask for change. Police said that the cashier immediately noticed that the note was funny and notified her manager who called the police. Alice claimed it was all a big misunderstanding. I'm sure she did. She thought the bill was real. And this is what she said from her jail cell. She says, you just can't keep up with the U.S. Treasury anymore. And then the police said, and then she told police that she got the bill from her estranged husband who was a coin collector. I'm like, this woman is off her head. Getting a $1 million bill to go to Walmart and she thought it was real. Well, that could be some of us. We may not have a $1 million bill. I don't even think the U.S. Treasury makes a $1 million bill. But for some of us, the biggest bill that we have is a Benjamin. And keeping up with those Benjamins is a hard, hard thing. Some of us, we're just, like I said, we're paycheck to paycheck. But let me ask you this morning, what if there was an alternative? What if we were able to get ahead of the Benjamins? 
What if there was an ancient wisdom which guided us how to handle our wealth or for some of us, lack of wealth? Would you follow it? Would you follow it? You know, this series, that's what it's all about. It's learning this ancient way that we're going to find how to handle money and how to handle the things in our life and our wealth and our material possessions. This is a biblical guide to handling wealth or your lack of wealth. Did you know that the average American has over $15,000 of credit card debt? The average American. Also, the average American saves $325 a year. That's it. So they have $15,000 worth of the credit card debt, and they save $325 a year. That's crazy. That means we're going to go broke pretty soon if we're not already broke. But just imagine for a moment if that turned around. Imagine for the moment if it was the other way around. And I don't know where you are in terms of wealth in your life at the moment. Maybe you are paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're doing pretty well for yourself and you're like, hey, this is a good season of my life. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. No matter where you are, the Bible has a message for you. The Bible has a message for you. You know, Jesus actually talked about money almost as much as he talked about giving your life unto God. It was giving your life unto God, then it was money. He talked about money so much. And we don't like to talk about money because money makes us cringe. I mean, even saying the word money in church, it makes me cringe. And I don't know about you, but I've been in churches where, like, every week it seems like the pastor is up there trying to get more money out of this and more money out of that and that and that. And it makes me cringe. But when I read the Bible, I start to see a plan that the Bible puts in place how to handle our money that if you follow, I promise you, will be like a freeing thing in your life. We're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. Some of you probably don't know all the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to do like a pop quiz of who knows the Ten Commandments. But most of us, we probably know the first commandment. And the first commandment, before God ever said, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet after other things. God said this in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. He said the very first commandment, the first thing that came out of God's lips when he said, this is what I want you to tell people. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before, before me. And right now, if I was to ask a question to you, or will ask a question, is there any God in your life that you are putting before the God of heaven? Is there any God in your life that you are putting before the God of heaven? For some of you, that may seem a little heavy this morning. But I want us to be honest with ourselves. Because this is the first key that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at, are we putting anything before God? And if we are, is that why God may not be blessing us or God may not be helping us in the areas that we need help? In your life right now, is there any God before the God of heaven? In the Hindu religion, there is a belief that anything can be a God. Because they believe that the spirit of Krishna lives in everything. And so if you ever go to India, you'll find out in India that they think everything is a God. 
In fact, in India, there are over 350 million gods. They worship cows. They worship statues. They worship benches. Seriously, they worship benches. They worship temples. They worship pictures. They worship wooden idols. They all worship these things. And for us here in America, because we live in a supposedly Christian society, that can seem totally ludicrous to us. However, I think, if we are to be honest, there probably is as many gods in the United States as there are in India. There's just a difference. We don't worship those gods publicly like they do in India. But we really are slaves to those gods. Hindus believe that you can serve multiple gods. Yet our God, we see here in in Exodus chapter 20, says that you should serve only one God. The great creator, we call him Yahweh, he he tells us we should only worship one God, and that is him. You know, one time, Mark Twain, the uh, great author, was lecturing in Utah. And a Mormon came to him, and uh, he was an acquaintance of Mark Twain, and he asked him uh, what his uh, thoughts were, were on the subject of polygamy. And Mark uh, Twain uh, disagreed with it. And so after a long and rather heated debate, the Mormon finally got fed up and says, well, can you find for me a single passage in Scripture that forbids polygamy? And Mark Twain replied, certainly. For Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. Well, I know I serve one master, and her name is my wife. And boy... You know, there's no way that she's serving me. I'm going to serve her all the way, make it happen. But Mark Twain was onto something here. I mean, he was joking around and he was talking about marriage. But actually, he pinpointed a verse that I think is so key to us, especially us people in the United States of America. I think it is so key to us to see this. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. It says there, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So there Jesus is saying that you cannot have two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other, despise one and hate the other, you cannot love both God and money. Well, I want to make a a little correction here, because if you're like kind of old school, uh, then uh, you've got a uh, uh, King James Bible. And actually, the King James Bible is a little bit more correct than my Bible here. My Bible is a New Living Translation. I love it. But, you know, different translations translate words differently. And the word there, money, is not an accurate word. If you've got a King James Bible, then it says that you cannot serve both God and mammon. God and mammon. So those are the two gods that we, that we have a choice to serve, God and mammon. And here we see that there seems to be a battle for our hearts. Jesus pinpoints two things that fight our hearts. Firstly, our Father God, the God of heaven, and then something that we call mammon. Jesus doesn't mention other things here. He didn't say that you can't serve other things, even though you can't. He didn't talk about other faiths or other beliefs or or, or other religions, because those things are more head things. 
He's talking about the things that really get into our heart. And that is something called mammon. So I ask you today, who is your God? Who is your master? And for most of us this morning, we may immediately say that God is our Lord. God is the one that we serve. But I want us to take a little deeper look this morning into who God is and what this thing called mammon is. Let's start with the God of mammon. The word mammon is not an English word. I mean, you, you may be able to find it in the dictionary, I doubt it. But it's not a word that we use, and most of you are probably not familiar with the word mammon. In fact, it's a word that comes from, uh, from uh, Syria and around there. And it was a word that was used in many Middle Eastern nations in Jesus' time. It is the name that was known to be given to an idol that was worshipped. And this, word, this idol was worshipped as the God of riches. The God of riches. They worshipped mammon as the God of riches. Often this, this is uh, the same God. Uh, they refer to this God as the same God that's found in Greek mythology. There's a God called Plutus in Greek mythology. And that is called the God of wealth. You know, for us, it's very hard to translate the word mammon. And that's probably why a lot of translations translate it as money. But let's try and translate it this morning. Generally, mammon means this. It means to put your trust and your confidence in material wealth and gain. I say that again. It's to put your trust and your confidence in material wealth and gain. Back here, the people who worship mammon believe that mammon was the provider of material wealth. And it was through this wealth and then gaining more wealth that you could have to trust that your future was going to be okay. You would have a confidence in your future but only by gaining wealth and gaining more wealth. And so they worshipped mammon because they thought mammon was the God that would provide this wealth. In fact, mammon isn't just about money. Mammon is about so much more other things. Mammon can be anything that we materially have our confidence and our trust in. Anything that we can material have our, uh, materially have our confidence and our trust in. So for those of you this morning that you are trusting in your retirement plan, if you are trusting in your retirement plan that that is your future, then you are trusting in mammon. If you are trusting in the stock market to help you through life, then you are trusting in mammon. If your confidence in this life is in the equity of your home, then you are trusting in mammon. For those who believe that their outward appearance would give them confidence, you are trusting in mammon. For those who believe that the latest gadget is essential to their well-being in life, then you are trusting in mammon. Mammon isn't just a cool word. It's not just a principle or a way of life. The Bible translates mammon as a God. As a God. A God that we eventually could be slaves to. And you see people, and you may have friends, who just love material things. And they're always going out buying and buying and buying and buying and buying. And you think, wow, yeah, those are the people that would be a slave to mammon. They're the ones who, who put mammon above everything else. But it's not just them. A lot of us, we probably put mammon above God as well. 
because we put our trust and our confidence in material things. So that's the God of Mammon. Well, let's quickly have a look at who is God? Who is God that the Bible says? Who is God who Jesus mentions? Well, the Bible gives a lot of explanations of who God is. In fact, most of the explanations of who God is are actually uh, an example of God's character. So we see throughout the Bible that they, they give the, the character of God, trying to explain God, who God is. So throughout the Old Testament, you see in many different places, God telling His people, He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what God is trying to tell them, he says, that the same God that helped Abraham and the same God that helped Isaac and Jacob is the same God that's going to help you. He is the God that keeps his promises. And then in the New Testament, we see that God is referred to as the great father of love. It shows us there that he is a, he is a caring father. He is someone who cares for us. How a healthy loving Father would care for you or me. And throughout the whole Bible, we see that God is described as the covenant-keeping God, or the God who keeps His promise. Well, in regards to keeping up with the Benjamins, let's see who God is. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 to 21, we see the Bible says, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat, and rust destroy them, where thieves break in. So basically he's saying, don't put your trust in mammon, because it's going to end up being destroyed. Store your treasures in heaven. Or I'm going to put that further, store your treasures in the kingdom of heaven, where moths and rusts and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Here is a God that if you put your trust in God, or if you put your trust in the things of heaven, then He is a God who will safely store your treasure. He will safely store your treasure. If you store your treasure in things of this world, then eventually this world is going to eat and destroy them. But if you store your treasures in the kingdom of heaven, then it's going to be safe. We see in Matthew 6, verse 31 to 33, it says, don't worry about these things, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. We see here that He is a God who knows your needs. Whatever your needs are today, He is a God. He knows those needs. Even before you ask Him in prayer, He knows those needs. But He also says, if you put Him first in everything, He's going to meet every one of those needs. He will meet every single one of those needs. In Proverbs chapter 3, Verse 5 to 6, it says there, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't depend on mammon. But seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. He will show you which path to take. Here, God is saying, He's saying that 
I am the God who will show you the way in life. I am the God who will show you what decisions to make. I am the God who will tell you to turn left or right. I am the God who knows the way and I will direct your paths. But, firstly, you must give Him your heart. Then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 3, it says there, it says, Then God uh, gave the people all these instructions. He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Here God is saying, I am the God who saves you. I am the God who takes you out of a bad, terrible place and I will deliver you from that place. I am the God that saves you, but you must put me first before everything else. And then we see finally in John 8, verse 58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Basically, Jesus is saying there, he says, before Abraham was born, before this world was formed, before there was a moon in the sky, before there were stars in the sky, before there was water on this earth, before there was light and there was darkness, He was. Before there was any problem in our life, before there was any situation, any, uh, before there was any bank, before there was any stock market, before there was any, uh, uh, any houses, any loans, anything in your life that may be troubling you at the moment, before anything that we can concern with mammon, there was Jesus. He was before all that. And then the Bible tells us that He will be there right at the end when all that stuff is gone. He is the God who was there before and He will be there, there, the God who was there after and He is the God right in the middle, right in the middle of all your situations. So He is a God that you can put your trust in. This is who God is. He is a God that saves. He is a God that provides. He is a God that shows you the way. He is a God who always was and always will be. So now you have an idea of what mammon is. And you have an idea of what God is. Now I ask you, who will you choose? Jesus says that you can't have two masters. Did you know that anyone with two heads is a freak? Have you seen anyone with two heads lately? And if you've got two heads, which I hope you don't, but if you do, then one head is always going to take the lead. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying here, he says you can't serve two masters. Because if you serve two masters, one is going to take the lead over the other. Jesus, in fact, says that you will love one and hate the other. So if you put God first, you're going to hate mammon. But if you're going to, if you're going to put mammon first, you're going to hate God. Now the word hate is a little strong. And we must bring it into some context. Because for you and me, hate is something we tell our kids, never say hate. You know, hate is a mean word. We don't like hate. Hate is a very strong word. But in fact, really, in the, in the context of what was being said, Jesus was saying, you will love one and you will love the other less. You know, in the Bible, there's a story of a man called Jacob. Jacob had two wives. He had a wife called Rachel and he had a wife called Leah. 
And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel, but he hated Leah. Now, if you've got a wife, I mean, you're not going to hate your wife. Unless, I don't know, she tries to kill you or something. I don't know. But really, Jacob wasn't saying, I hate Leah. He was really saying, I love Rachel so much. And I love Leah a little less. And in fact, God even said to Jacob, he says, Jacob, I have loved. But Jacob, your brother Esau, I have hated. What is impossible for God to hate? God doesn't hate. God is a God of love. But really, God is saying, Jacob, I love you so much. You are a devoted person. I love you. And Esau, I love less. And so this morning, God is saying that you can't have two masters. You can't have God and mammon. If you have God and mammon, you're either going to love one and love the other less. Or love this one more and love this one less. I don't think Jesus was saying, and I'm not saying this morning, that you'll hate God. But I do believe Jesus was saying that if you are spinning your wheels, trying to keep up with the Benjamins, or put your trust in gaining material wealth or financial gain, then you're going to end up loving God a whole lot less. And mammon will be your master. It will be your God. It won't be your friend. It will be your master. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that we need mammon. We need wealth. We need money. We need possessions. I mean, look what a lack of wealth has done in parts of this world. We see that there are people who go out um, without clean water. We see others who don't have enough clothes to wear. We see there's people in this world who don't have even the necessary medical care to take care of just the minest illnesses. See, with mammon, we can take care of those things. With wealth, we can take care of those things. With possessions, we can take care of those things. But mammon cannot be your God. Mammon can only be used as a tool in the kingdom of God. Mammon can never become your master. And if that tool is not being used to glorify God then I believe that eventually it's going to become your master. You know, I think of lots of famous people who have just chased wealth. I think of Charles Barkley. You all know who Charles Barkley is? Basketball player back in the Jordan era. He just loved wealth. And he tried to gain wealth. He had a huge basketball contract. He had all the money that you could want. But that money kind of gripped hold of his life. And he started making frequent trips to Vegas. And he started squandering that money. And eventually that money gripped his life so much that he got a gambling addiction in the end. And he lost most of his money. That's why you see him on TV. That's why you see him like in adverts. That's why like he's always running his mouth because he's just trying to get more money. Because he's got this gambling addiction and it's just gripped hold of his life. And for some of us, if we put mammon ahead, we can end in a similar position. I'm not saying we're going to go to Vegas and spend millions of dollars. But what I am saying is that it will grip hold of your life. And you will never be the same. Mammon can only be used as a tool in the kingdom of God. 
As I close today, I want to leave you with one more story. You know, throughout this series, today is kind of an overview, a starting point. Next week, we're going to talk about some real practical things. We're going to have some resources that we're going to give to some of you who, you know, want some help. And uh, I have a bunch of resources uh, that we're going to give. It's by a guy called Dave Ramsey. And uh, I don't know if you, if you know him or not, but he is a, a, a well-known um, author. He's a, a best-selling author. He is, uh, he's got a national TV radio show all about how to handle our finances and our wealth. And his, his, his uh, methods are pretty strict and they're pretty hard to follow, but he guarantees he will get you out of debt. So if you're in debt, I encourage you, you know, next week we've got some of these resources and we'll, we'll be giving some more stuff away um, to you, to, the, to those who are helping. And we will get a lot more in depth in what the Bible says. But today the Bible is saying, saying, what are you putting first? Are you putting all this material wealth? Are you putting the houses, the money, the, the, the possessions, the cars? Are you putting that before me? Or are you putting me before that? I don't know how many of you have heard of a guy called George Muller. George Muller was a man who lived in the 19th century. He had a call of God on his life, and he just had a heart for orphans. Just like Jason had a heart for orphans. And he felt God tell him to build some orphanages to give a roof for these orphan kids. And the story of George Muller, if you ever read his life story, you can just see that God was just in his life so much. And at the end of his life, we see an incredible thing of what happened. See, God gave him this vision. God gave him this dream to help these orphans. And he gave him a place, and he showed him the land of where he should build these orphanages. There was 13 acres of ground, uh, of ground in a place called Bristol England. And when God put this in George Muller's heart to build these orphanages, he had two shillings in his pocket. That's all he owned in his life. Two shillings. Two shillings is about the equivalent of 50 cents. And this man did not publicly ask for any money in his entire life. Instead, he just trusted God. He did not let any man know his wants or his needs. But he just asked God. And by the end of his life, George Muller had been given, and think this is back in the 19th century, over $7 million towards these orphanages. Near the time of George Muller's death, there were five immense buildings of solid granite capable of accommodating over two thousand orphans and in all the years since the orphans first arrived the lord had sent food in due time so that they never missed a meal for want of food what many don't know about this man george muller was that before he accepted christ into his life he was a slave to mammon his life was filled with sin and he spent his days trying to cheat people out of money, trying to make more money. His life was about gaining wealth, and that was it. 
God radically touched his heart. And after his conversion to follow God, he turned his back on trusting in earthly means. And he put his confidence in God. George Muller did not have two masters. God was his master. Mammon was his tool. For you today, is God your master and mammon your tool? Or is mammon your master? And God, your thing that you think about once in a while. Let's pray.